This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, but we do have a spectaculario friend of the pod, to put this Andy Bailey superlative in there, Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, uh, again, a good friend of mine, and I've worked with him now for, I mean, probably too long at this point. It's been close to a decade. But we're here to deal with the fallout from the NBA trade deadline. Winners, losers, buyout predictions, uh, what it does to free agency, all that good stuff. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really appreciate when you guys do that. If you've already done all that, please recommend us. Give us a shout-out on Twitter to help us get those numbers up. I also know there's just a lot of you out there that have not uh, reviewed, subscribed, or rated us based on how many listens we get every single episode. So. Uh, if you could do that, we would we would really appreciate it. I don't necessarily like being a complete show, but in my totally unbiased opinion, this podcast is fantastic. With that out of the way, I get to ask the question everyone always wants to know. Grant, how are you doing the day after the NBA trade deadline? Man, um, I'm just uh, – I'm really struggling to uh, remember that you don't have to um, call everyone a winner and a loser um, because that's the mindset that you get into after the trade deadline, even though we're going to talk about that. Um, I'm good. I, uh, I will say I'm less biased than you about this podcast, probably just a little bit. Um, and I also think it's very good and that people should listen and definitely rate and subscribe because supposedly that's important. Yes, and I would just – and now that Grant has said that, I'm just going to edit the intro that I said before. I've actually never met him. I lied before. I was trying to create that feeling of familiarity for everybody. <laughs> so his opinion is completely unbiased, and, and you should definitely listen to him. I do agree, though, uh, for serious – to be serious for a second, that it is – people put winners and losers into this bucket. And there's always – when you expand it to when it's not just teams and you could say which players lost – that's an interesting thing to talk about, but this deadline specifically was just so much more complicated because of all the ramifications it had. And so I asked you to pick like three winners or losers or just in- things that you found interesting as a result of this deadline. And then I have my own notes and we'll see if there's any overlap. And I, I think that's just the-, the best place to start. So who did you have as, um, which team did you have as your first? I know I didn't tell you you could pick a player, but if you did, um, wh- who did you just have? No, I, I didn't pick a player. I think uh, I'll give you a team in a second. I, I, I suspect we'll have pretty similar teams. Um, but but the one thing, like the winner, I think, if you wanted to get kind of macro about the whole thing, is um, just looking at how many really good teams kind of took shots uh, at the deadline, um, particularly at the top of the East, um, made some sort of more present focused moves and you know cost themselves some future assets potentially. Um, and, and to me, it's really interesting that with the Warriors right now, you know, 
by some measures, I think looking really like as dangerous as they've looked in a, in a while, um, that that wasn't enough to dissuade a lot of teams from kind of going for it, at least in a somewhat measured way, mm-hmm. um, which, which makes, um, I think that's really interesting. Um, I think it, maybe it reflects that teams aren't as afraid of Golden State as maybe they should be, or, or certainly as they used to be. Um, but call it what you want, you know, parody or, or whatever. Um, I suppose the title odds don't reflect this because the Warriors are still massive favorites. But, you know, some of these moves seem to indicate uh, that teams are kind of like, well, screw it. You know, we're good now. And, yeah, the Warriors are out there. But but let's see. Let's see what happens, um, which which is kind of a fun thing for me. Well, I think it's pretty telltale, though, that one, we've probably become numb to how good the Warriors are because they've been on a tear. And we for really, sure. we're not even talking about them. We're, we're discussing Kevin Durant's temper tantrum the other night. Yeah. So. Two, though, I think it's noteworthy that those all-in plays were made in the East. And so yes. it, it happens, I think you look at it from the perspective that maybe we get killed by the Warriors in the finals, but to reach the NBA finals, you give yourself a shot. And if you have to yeah. get there, that's a win unto itself. And it's it's probably noticeable that we didn't see a team like Denver or Oklahoma City really try and up the ante for themselves this season, just because the Warriors do still loom. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm thinking about it now too, the, you know, we'll talk about them more individually, I'm sure. But, you know, if you take Milwaukee and you take Toronto and you take uh, Philly, you know, all of those teams, in addition to, as you said, like, hey, let's get to the finals. um, And maybe we are or are not that scared of the Warriors. But all of those teams are also kind of trying to appease stars that can leave. Right. Uh, In in theory, like, you know, Giannis is down the road. But if you don't think this Anthony Davis thing is going to play out again with Giannis in some form, you're crazy because at least the media chatter is going to be similar because that'll be the next big thing to talk about in a year. Um, But, you know, Toronto's got to show Kawhi that, like, look, we don't mess around. Um, The Sixers, you know, uh, they've got Jimmy Butler to try to impress, I guess, which is important to them um, uh, to keep him. So it's kind of interesting to look at it that way, too, where um, some of the motivators for these moves are a little different than they are at at a lot of deadlines. Um, But uh, to your point, yeah, like Denver didn't do, you know, nothing. Uh, OKC, which is, I think, kind of quietly a really dangerous team, nothing of consequence. Um, Houston, I think, can't be counted out. Uh, You know, they just kind of shuffled the chairs a little bit, but now maybe can... So much for telling for Tita not caring about the tax, though, right? That's the thing, right? Like, that'll be telling. If they go out and they spend on the buyout market a little bit and sort of get back to where they were before a lot of these moves, then maybe that goes away. But it looks pretty obvious to me that this team is kind of like at a, at a bad time, too, because they were so good. Um, I've just decided that, like, we're not going to be taxpayers, uh, even if it potentially costs us a chance to win a title, which is crazy to me. Well, it's probably tough to pay the tax for this team right now with the the way things have unfolded with injuries and Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah, but but an unwillingness. I think the unwillingness to pay the tax goes back far enough to the point where you can say that contributed to why this team looked like it did. You know, if you go back right. to over the summer. Uh, but yeah, you know, the, the Rockets weren't really a team I was going to talk about. But um, uh, I think if I had to pick just, now I'll give you I'll give you one, and I have another one, one in each conference. But I mean, the Bucks to me. Um, Miritich felt like sort of the cleanest addition of, of any of those that the teams uh, up at the top of the East made. Um, he really takes, he doesn't take anything off the table for them. He sort of obviously gives them more spacing, which, uh, John Horst specifically talked about, like, I think it was today, how they, they value these four point shooters, these guys that can shoot 30 footers above the break. And Miritich is another one of those guys. 
Um, and so the spacing he unlocks, the ability to play him at the four with Giannis at the five against certain playoff matchups, like it, it just is such a clean fit. And they gave up, I mean, ultimately it was like kind of like Fawn Maker for him. Um, if you look at sort of with some other stuff in there, but like they did not give up a lot to get a guy that I think just fits really, really well. And the Bucks, by the way, already were the best team in the East. And some of the other, you know, Toronto, the Gasol fits, I think he's an improvement, but you know, there are things to work out there. The Sixers, I'm sure we'll talk about not an, it's kind of clunky, but that, that pick just, I mean, that, that trade just worked for me there. Yeah. It's a clean fit. And it's, you know, where you look at, if you're talking about Harrison Barnes in Sacramento or Tobias Harris in Philly, there's just those guys are used to having the ball in their hands a little bit more. And yeah. Miritich had a pretty okay workload in New Orleans, but almost half his shots were catch and shoot threes. So that's yep. that's a perfect fit right there. And as you kind of talk about the like there will be some defensive versatility there. He's not a great defender, but if you play Giannis at the five, you could sacrifice Miritich because he has some girth to him and have him defend yeah. the actual center. Yeah, my go-to line on Miritich is basically like he's a better defender than you think um, because his profile. If you put him on just, a center, he's actually probably going to win more battles than you. Yeah, think. he's okay there. He, he's not going to get beaten up. And I mean, if your goal is to preserve Giannis a little bit, even though he's such a monster that like it, there aren't that many centers that could body him or beat him up. But um, yeah, it's just that the fit totally works on both ends. Um, I, Miritich, I, I, just, I think Miritich is really good um, as, as a role guy, um, and and you know the Bucks didn't. They just uh, the the ability to get him for so little um, is really kind of shocking. I can't believe they weren't outbid. I'm actually a little bit offended that you're disrespecting those Washington second round picks. Like, <laughs> I actually I don't think it was an unfair no. price to pay, but you 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 have to know when to cut your losses. But they were high on Thon Maker because it was it was put in that three team deal, and then you yeah. gave up four second round picks is a lot. Let's call the that Denver let's call the Denver one worthless because it's um it's protected for it's bottom five protected and there's actually a chance that uh, that won't go to New Orleans then. Milwaukee's 2020 second rounder, uh, fine, you're going to be good because you have Giannis, but uh, those both those Washington picks at the same time, what I will say that this it added another intrigue of layer their offseason because you have Middleton, Brogdon, Brook Lopez and Bledsoe entering free agency. There yeah. was a path after their salary dump to keeping all four of those guys while staying under the tax. And I'm not here to say that uh, people go at me on Twitter at all the time when I start talking about, not all the time, but when I've talked about the tax, I'm not trying to save owners money. It's just the reality that not all markets, not all owners want to pay the tax. And so right. if, if you want to keep those guys and you're able to stay under the tax while you have to pay them, that's good. Miritich is, it's one, is it a sign that they could be willing to pay the tax if they bring him back with everybody or more likely is it maybe he's this contingency because if I'm not saying he can't replace Chris Middleton or Brogdon or Eric Bledsoe but if you lose one or two of those guys now you have Miritich to kind of fall back on as an impact guy yeah I think that's fair I mean to me I I have to admit I'm not the biggest Bledsoe fan I think it may just because I watch more just randomly more bad Bledsoe games than good ones but I don't know that Miritich to me is on that different of a level from, uh, you know, Middleton, Brogdon, Bledsoe. Um, it, it, like, he's he's probably inferior to all three. I mean, I actually really like Brogdon. Um, he's, quite, he's like scoring a zillion points a game, and whenever I watch the Bucks, it doesn't feel that way. No, he. so he's another guy. Like, if you catch a good Brogdon game, you walk away thinking like, oh my God, like this guy is the greatest backcourt role player of all time because he doesn't miss shots. 
He's super crafty around the around the rim. He has all these weird little reverse layups that he gets off the ground like six inches, but still finishes over power forwards and stuff. Um, but he does he he doesn't he can't do that every day. I feel like um, he and Bledsoe, if they have if you get a good Bledsoe game and a good Brogdon game, the Bucks it's like impossible for them to lose. But those just don't happen all the time. Miritich, I think potentially is kind of the same way. If he goes six of nine from three. Milwaukee's never going to lose, um, but he's not. He's just not always going to do that. I don't know. It, it, the, all the free agents on that team do make it interesting, um, but really, it, you know, if they if they do lose those guys or some of them, you have to think that if Giannis just you know runs roughshod through several playoff rounds, they're they're going to get to be one of those teams. Maybe they already are that just has the ability to sort of, you know, pick and choose vets to fill roles going forward for a couple years, potentially. Yeah. I think they were clear. They, I, I don't think I still, the, all those picks, it's a lot, but I think, I think it's a fair price with maker thrown in there. And so they were just, I think they were obvious winners and they were after the Sixers kind of fired the first shot with Tobias Harris. It's just yeah. to see those contenders kind of go at one another. Uh, and like we, like you said, Miritich is an easy fit for them. I actually did not, have the Bucks because I actually I thought maybe you would pick them. Mine is I don't know if I would consider them a winner or a loser. I have them as a, a TBD, and I, I tilt closer towards the loser side if you're forcing me to choose. Uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers, they at first the Tobias Harris trade at first blush. Now this isn't me having hindsight as the benefit. I wrote about this immediately after it happened, and I was still just so confused because you're bringing in a guy who yes he's become a really good shooter but he's used to working on the ball too uh he was taking a bunch of pull-up jumpers with the clippers and hitting them at a, at a high clip how do you make this all work with ben simmons joel Embiid, jimmy butler and harris even if one even if one or both of butler uh, and harris are just willing to be the guys that don't get to dribble too much that neither one of them are players you want to bring off screens and have a, and make move a ton without the ball necessarily. And that kind of complicates your offense. Also, and this is with the benefit of hindsight, it looked like a lot to begin with to give up uh, so much for an expiring contract. When you mm-hmm. saw the, the Mavericks and the Wizards basically salary dump Otto Porter and Harrison Barnes, I know Maver- the Mavericks got Justin Jackson and the Wizards got Bobby Portis. That's not like... I don't know. That just that's not a huge asset. And so you gave up two first rounders, one of which that Miami pick was considered a scorching hot yeah, commodity. Right. Um, two seconds, or was it three seconds? I can't they sent so many picks I think it's, to steal. I think it's it's at least two, um, for so, sure. Yeah, they sent it was two. It was a twenty twenty first round pick, twenty twenty one first round pick from Miami, twenty twenty one second round pick from Detroit, and a twenty twenty three second round pick from Detroit. So just to give up Landry Shamit and four picks I actually think Mike Scott is going to help the Sixers too. So there, if you want I do to look, too. If you look at it that way, and who doesn't love Boban? I I I'm so in love with the fact that him and Tobias are still a package <laughs> deal. Right. I just yeah. don't know that I could view them as winners. And the last point I'll make on that is, if you're going to pay every, a lot of people seem to think that Tobias is just going to get max money. I'm not necessarily convinced, and I'm not even talking about the Sixers give him five years so he takes a discount. I'm of I'm. Like of the mind, is he going to get the thirty-two point seven or whatever million dollars it is? And if you give it to him, and if you pay Jimmy Butler, uh, by the time Ben Simmons signs his max extension, if it's not going to be the super max, which I actually guess it could, but let's say it won't, that's almost one hundred and thirty million dollars for Embiid, Simmons, Harris, and Butler by twenty 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 one. 
That's yeah. so much money. And I'm also wondering, did this trade force them to sell lower than they could have or should have on Martel Fultz? Because there was maybe there was never a path to him coming back and fitting in. But when you bring in a fourth scorer who prefers to have the ball in his hands, and again, Harris is a good shooter. It might work out. I would feel more comfortable if he was your number three guy as opposed to number four. Did they look at this and say, well, there's no way that Markel Fultz has a future here now. Uh, maybe the Tyler Johnson trade impacted it too, where they were like, well, that's just another guard suitor out the window for this summer. So I, I, if, I don't know if that um, b- became a mitigating factor for, for because of this trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to stick on on that, on the Harris deal. But but so one of my other winners was the Clippers. Um, and it's not necessarily true that, you know, the Clippers I, I thought were winners. Therefore, you know, since they traded Harris to the Sixers, that makes the Sixers losers. But I, I think like if you just view the transaction and obviously both teams goals are different, um, but I, I don't I, I maybe you'll disagree with this, but. Um, I don't think anyone could say from an asset perspective that the Clippers didn't win that deal, quote unquote, Um, because to me, you know, if you consider the cap space, they cleared the potential headache of trying to re-sign Harris to a deal that was probably going to be too rich. I think Shamit's a really like potentially really good rotation guy that's, you know, cost controlled forever. Um, The picks they got, like, I think that's a win for them. But the thing about, about Harris to me is, I've been starting to think about players in kind of a different way. And Harris to me is more of like a floor raiser um, than anything else. And so if you're viewing him as the Sixers, as this is our fourth option now, um, he is going to have to scale back his usage. He's going to be in a role that's a lot different than the one he was in. Um, But we're also going to pay him like a superstar because if he were on a 500 team, um, as basically he was this year, um, he can be like your number one option, but he's not going to be that for us. But because he could be somewhere else, if we want to keep him, we probably have to pay him like that. So it's sort of a weird allocation of resources for a guy that on the Sixers should just be making seven or eight million dollars for what they're probably going to have him do. Um, so I, to me, it was a strange move by the by the Sixers, although one like I sort of get they just decided we need a bunch more talent at the top end. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call him a winner or a loser. The Clippers are, I think, a clear winner for me at the deadline overall, but, um, that deal kind of pushes the Sixers maybe a little bit towards loser, but if they make the finals or even the East finals, then, you know, I guess it's justifiable in, 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 from one perspective. It would have made more sense to me too, if he wasn't on an expiring contract, if you could right. say, oh, he has next year too. And I'm not saying because you lose him, but his salary is going to skyrocket and, you ended up – you didn't salary dump Mark Helfels because you did get the first-round pick. You got a second-round pick. But if you were going to get rid of his salary, there was a path to opening up the Tobias Harris-level max contract. I'm not saying he definitely would have gone to Philly. And maybe yeah. that's a signal that Philly doesn't think they would be a free agent destination. That's weird to me. They should be. They should view themselves that way, don't you think? As not a free agent destination? No, they should view themselves as a free agent destination because you've got – you know, Simmons and Embiid, I think a lot of, I think they're pretty well respected around the league. I think, you know, guys would look at them and say like, man, I just got to come in and, you know, do my JJ Redick impression insofar as anyone in the league can do that, which I don't know they can, but you know, the, the role, role guys and even stars the you know, star-ish players should want to play there. I think, I think, I think Philly's free agent money, you know, it's certainly worth more than the teams we always talk about is, you know, having cap space not mattering like they're not the kings they're not the pacers they're not the you know whoever you want to list i think the sixers would have been a destination 
And you would also think that LeBron giving them a phone call, whatever that fake thing was last summer, that that sort of puts them on the map. Like when he met with the Clippers in 2010. Oh, LeBron was interested in playing for them. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they should be, they're really good. They have two young cornerstones. I think people like Brett Brown. I think, uh, you know, the, they, they are, they're on the short list of like desirable free agent destinations. So that's another aspect that, yeah, I, I agree. It makes this, makes the move a little bit strange. There, there were other avenues that they could have accumulated a lot of talent, although not, not for this potential run to the finals. Right. And then I guess they could look at it as, well, this way we have, you know, JJ Redick on early bird rights. We don't have to renounce him. There's, he's having a hell of a year, so perhaps there's value in that for them. It's just it makes me feel uneasy because this is the type of thing that seems like it's going to take time to work out if it's going to work out. And I, I, I people have discussed whether Tobias Harris would leave. Maybe they're that confident, and they could be right that there's just going to be all these max offers for him in free agency. I know he's a top ten name in the free agent market, but I just never viewed him as this max formality. I thought Chris Middleton was closer to that than him. What about Jimmy Butler? If they get bounced in the second round, I could just see Jimmy Butler leaving. Well, and, you know, I'm, I guess I've kind of come to be pretty anti Jimmy Butler. Like if I had to pick a camp Um, and if you're the Sixers, like, I don't know that that's the worst thing because he's, you know, he's got to be at the tail end of of his prime, I think, or at least, you know, starting the the descent. Um, And he's extremely difficult to have around. I think we can safely say, and he's the type of player that, is best served being your number one option. And, and it's always just, just it's death to install a guy at a certain age that is a high usage, number one option, and then pay him a bunch of money as his decline starts because the whole dynamic, in addition to him, just productive production wise, not being worth it. The whole dynamic of the team still depends on this guy being viewed as the alpha. And if he doesn't deserve to be, even though he's being paid like it, I think that just throws like several wrenches into the works of your, you know, whatever you want to call it, your organizational culture, your team chemistry. So there's a lot of, there's a weird amount of instability with a Sixers team that is really good and has two just locked in cornerstones. It's, it's kind of a weird dichotomy for them. Well, but I, I got to go ahead. I got a, I got a next question for you after you finish up on the, oh, on the Sixers. that's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> it, that, but what you touch on sort of brings up a, a larger overarching question of, if Butler, maybe if Butler leaves, it could be better functionally for the Sixers. It certainly makes Tobias Harris a more sensible player for them. At the same time, it, after you burn through, so now Markel Fultz, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Landry Shamit, two first-round picks, and three second-rounders in the same season, you have to have more to show for it than Tobias Harris and OKC's top 20 protected pick in 2020. That's yeah, just, I... like that, that has to happen. I, in you know, it's so kind of lame to talk about the process still, but if I really feel like this deadline was like the end, this is like almost the anti-process. Like the process is officially over now. Um, like those assets are gone more or less. I think what are they, if, if the Kings get the number one pick, the Sixers get it still, but that's basically the end of their, you know, all those, all those blue chip assets they have. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, yeah, the, the process is over now. It's like, now these are the guys. And, and as far as Butler and Harris are concerned, they might not even be there, uh, long-term. So, uh, it's a definitely a new era for the Sixers. Um, but for the Knicks, a simple question. Um, were they a winner? Were the Knicks a winner? Is that possible? What would be the argument for them to be a winner? 
Well, okay. So uh, I know we were texting about this, like basically right after the Porzingis trade happened. And if I recall, I was kind of like, well, they better know that they're getting Durant or whoever else. Um, but I don't even know if I think that needs to be part of the equation now. Um, because the more I thought about it, the less I'm certain that Porzingis is uh, a max guy or just build in the injury risk, build in all the uncertainties. Like I would have reservations about maxing him out. Um, and he didn't want to be there, I guess. I guess I believe that even though the Knicks PR machine is, you know, he definitely didn't want to be there. There's no way they traded him because of his quote unquote trade request. That that didn't happen. (laughs) So you're right. Right. No, no question. That was BS. Um, but if, so he's like less of a, just a can't move, can't possibly lose this guy asset than maybe I thought, you know, even a week ago, um, they cleared all that money. They, I think Dennis Smith is f- deeply flawed, but we give up on point guards way too early all the time. Um, and to get, get picks back, to get those firsts. Um, I just think, I don't know if, if this future, if you weigh this future with all its possibilities that granted all the Knicks have ever done is mess up possibilities. Um, if you weigh that against like, what are we going to do with Porzingis? How are we going to get off Hardaway's money? Can we get anything for Courtney Lee? We're, we're our draft assets aren't as great as they could be. I, I kind of think like the Knicks position themselves, themselves pretty well. And to the point where if they had a front office that I had more confidence in and certainly ownership that I was more confident in, I'd be like, man, these guys are, these guys look a lot like the Clippers to me. Not, not quite, but like they've got a plan. They're collecting assets. They're getting rid of all these uncertain things that maybe they'd have to overpay to keep. I think like if it wasn't the Knicks and this was just team X, you'd be like, man, these guys, these guys are kind of, they got something going right now, but, but it is the Knicks. And so that's why I have to ask if you think that they were a winner. I don't. I wouldn't call them a flat-out loser, and I wrote a piece about teams that kind of blew it at the deadline and didn't include them. There's here's Which my, is a win for them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I've said this before, so apologies to anyone who's listening to this twice, but if you needed to clear the cap space, you worry about it when you actually need to clear the cap space. And so, yeah, that's fair. And now, but my bigger problem was there was a path. If you don't sign two stars now, it's a failure because there was a path to keeping Porzingis and opening up Kevin Durant's money. You didn't even technically, I'm not saying it was the most efficient path, but you didn't even need to technically get rid of money. You could have stretched Courtney Lee and been, been in Kevin Durant territory just about, or you could have sweetened the salary dump when, when you needed to, because it was clearly possible. I know the Mavericks got Porzingis, but he was injured and he's about to make a ton of money. So they have those Charlotte picks. I think it would have taken maybe a second rounder, the notion was that they needed a first to get rid of Courtney Lee this year, which fair, but it probably takes two second rounders to get rid of Courtney Lee over the summer would be my guess. And so you make yeah. that decision when you know Kevin Durant is coming. What others might say is they obviously know that Kevin Durant is coming because what team would make this deal without knowing that? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you the team that would make this. Yeah, deal. right. It's, Go for it. It's the Knicks. And <laughs> I think that's what's so uneasy. And I don't think you brought up a good point about the front office. Maybe it would even be different if they had a clear cornerstone in place. Now you yeah. don't. Porzingis was that. And yeah. it was it made more sense to roll the dice on him until you didn't need to anymore. And they still needed to, in my opinion. And I, I will never believe the bullshit that he's going to sign his qualifying offer. You, No, no, no. It, never. It, it was no one in his position has ever done that. He's coming off an ACL injury. You, you, you had leverage. Don't pretend like you didn't. And you don't trade players just because they don't want to be there. 
the Pelicans didn't do it with Anthony Davis. They're going to wait to the summer and drum up a bidding war. You don't, the, the Knicks had leverage to play. And I don't think the deal ends up being bad. Like you said, the picks, maybe Dennis Smith Jr. is better than expected. But now you lose that cornerstone equity. Kevin Knox looks good. I don't know that he's ever going to be more than a number three guy in the NBA. If that, yeah, um, I agree. Fr- Frank Milikina is one of the worst offensive players I've ever seen to date. And I blame so much of that on the Knicks because they can't, they haven't even begun to like help him find a wheelhouse. He's a good defender already. Dennis Smith Jr., he's just so herky jerky, like w- watching him. It's, I always feel like he's going to, like his soul is going to fall out of his body on some of his drives because it, I, I, like he's one of those running backs that makes like too many, like, like fakes, like with his body and nothing about it looks natural or good. But I would say that he is a sophomore and, and people obviously gave up on him a little too early if they're out on him already. There's just so much risk involved in this that, and if, again, if you don't sign that, that's where I end up is now you need that. Now you need Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And that, those yeah. are what other stars are coming. If it's not them, by the way, it's, it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, not is Kawhi Leonard going to look at New York like maybe you could get Butler and Kyrie Irving, but I don't want a part of like Butler next con- Butler's next contract could end up being an Amari Stoudemire like situation at this point, given he yes. has Tibbs Miles on him and he's going to be I think he turns thirty before next season. So uh, now you've tethered yourself to this finite window of possibilities, particularly if you don't win the lottery. Everyone's like, and I have to constantly remind anyone who says it to me, well, they're just going to flip their pick and other stuff after they get Durant and Kyrie Irving for Anthony Davis. No, that's not going to happen. They have an 86% chance of not ending up with Zion Williamson. They have. Right. So it's, and if they get Zion, do not trade Zion. That would be, I, I don't care who's on the team. I'm, I'm not trading that pick. You need to have, and that's the other thing. You need to have players on your team. This might be a good time to talk about the Lakers. I understand that they were offering, in many ways, a poo poo platter to the Pelicans, which I, yeah. I think the Pelicans should have waited. I, I also don't think the Lakers should have given up everybody. I know it's Anthony Davis, but you need there needs to be someone else aside from LeBron left on your roster. If they were when they went to two first round picks and all five of their young players, including Zubak, in that last reported deal, that was a step too far for me. And there were people saying that they should include a third pick, and that that would I don't even know if New Orleans would have accepted that. But now you've put yourself at this baseline. To where they're going to come back over the summer and say, well, you offered us this. You can't offer us less now. The only thing that can really go well for the Lakers is the Knicks end up like third or fourth in the lottery. And then the Celtics lose Kyrie Irving so that you've lost two great offers probably for Anthony Davis. Because I don't think that Boston gives up Tatum if, if Kyrie's not coming back. Yeah, I mean, like, I, have, we got, I guess we should talk about the Lakers. Um, I, I have so many thoughts on just like how, how clumsy... And how sort of it was weird. It's like it's like both Clutch and Davis is and Davis from that side, and then the Lakers from the other side, which you might just say is all Clutch, really. Um, but they were both like trying to force a square peg into a round hole, like from both directions. If that makes it's a terrible analogy, but it's like the the pieces weren't good enough. I and and, and Davis like they from his side they just handled it so ridiculously with all these leaks and all these leverage plays and all this, all this nonsense that I just, uh, I just, it doesn't, the fit doesn't make sense. It doesn't like, it's not the best return package for the Pelicans. And even if they did think that it's way too much for the Lakers to, the the Lakers are just going to be like, well, we have 35 year old LeBron and Anthony Davis now and basically nothing. So what do we do with that? Um, it's just such a strange thing where, where, 
you know, Davis and, and, and his team just so badly want to get to LA that like, it, it's almost like they just don't care that it's, it's definitely not the best place for him to go. And it's definitely not the best place for the Pelicans to trade him, which is like a separate concern. Um, it's just, it's so, it's been so weird to me just from the, from the get go on this, um, that like, I just, and to say nothing of like the havoc that, I mean, yeah, they won last night and everything looked fine, but you know, half of the Lakers roster has to be like, there's a dude on our team that is basically dictating our futures. Um, and I'm uncomfortable with that. I just, it's, it's a whole big messy thing. I guess I don't have one overarching thought. It's just a lot of scattered like confusion about the whole deal. Well, they were one of my actual losers. And it's not because they didn't trade for Anthony Davids. It's because the negotiations became so public. Yeah. And I know it's hard to keep these things under wraps when they're this big, but we didn't hear about the Tobias trade, Tobias Harris trade until it happened. And at the very least, all these offers that were becoming public, I don't, they were coming from different sides, people with different agendas. It turned the Lakers into a caricature of a basketball team. I mean, you're talking about, LeBron chance of LeBron's going to trade you for Brandon Ingram in Indiana, uh, a locker room scuffle after the loss to the Golden State Warriors involving two players that weren't even in the Anthony Davis trade talks. Right. Uh, LeVar Ball going full of VAR Ball again on behalf of Lonzo Ball. Pictures of LeBron sitting on the bench, three chairs removed from his teammates, and then the tampering jokes in the middle of the All-Star thing. They come out, <laughs> they have that big win over the Celtics, maybe it's smooth sailing from here, but that it even if Anthony Davis what was striking out on him it, it was unavoidable that that's how I I look at it I don't think that this drama um was unavoidable it very easily could have been handled oh, more properly no question and 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 not I mean it was unavoidable and, and that fact is made worse by uh Rich Paul and and LeBron and whoever is really behind all this like they I think thought Oh, this is the way to make this happen. Like we are going to we are going to be the squeakiest wheels you can imagine. We're going to we're going to do all this leverage play. We're going to we're going to leak everything because this is actually this is the best way to get what we want. And it turned out that that was 100% untrue. It was the worst way, which if I don't understand like if you've ever negotiated with anyone for anything, um this is like this is like the what not to do section in the textbook. I just none of it made sense. Um, the other thing we're, this is going to be a tangent, but like, I think this again underscores the fact that having a superstar player or, or a historically great player or whatever we want to call LeBron, um, has so many downsides because I, I just think we have every example in the world now of really, really good players suck at deciding who they should play with. Like LeBron, I mean, Michael Jordan is a terrible owner. I think he's a terrible judge of talent. Like he's made all these mistakes. He's a great basketball player, um, but he's not good at any of the other things about being involved with a basketball team. And I really think that's true of LeBron because look at the free agent moves they made in the summer that everyone just immediately agreed were just ridiculous. And then the way that this has played out, I just think like he's not good at, at personnel, at at like he's good at some a lot of aspects of media management he's been very good at sort of cultivating a brand but in terms of like to the extent he's behind any of this clutch stuff um it was so clumsily done i just it, it and you have to let him do this stuff um and it probably was promised to him as a condition of coming to the lakers like you're gonna have say and stuff or it didn't even need to be said because he's lebron um, there's all these, there's all these downsides to having a guy like that on your team that we really saw play out over the last uh, several weeks. 
And there's going to come a point, probably not financially because of his brand that you talked about, where he's not going to be worth all this trouble. And it's, yeah, I think it's oversimplifying it if we were to sit here and say that LeBron's the GM of the Lakers, but the Lakers aren't making this give up our entire team for Anthony Davis play before the summer if LeBron's not on the team or if LeBron doesn't want it. It's just not want it now. Like that's just not happening because it makes more sense if you're going to trade so much for Anthony Davis, it makes more sense to wait to to the summer because then you're going to have a chance to sign another star first. There yeah. there was the I think the last reported version of the deal had them taking back Solomon Hill. And so if they stretched him, they could have gotten yeah. a little bit more than $25 million, but you take yourself out of the superstar conversation at that point. So yep. it, there is going to come a time where he's just, he's not worth it. And I think this actually worked out for them is yes, they might still have to give up the same offer just without the, the salary flotsam that they were going to send over this season. But at least now you have an opportunity to go out in free agency and look at guys, though I don't know what their willingness to take on Solomon Hill says about their view of free agency. And when you start to look at their the superstar pool, Clay is going back to the Warriors. Everyone thinks Kevin Durant's going to the Knicks. For Kyrie Irving, I think people would pick um, the Knicks or the Celtics. Tobias Harris, I don't know if they're going to try poaching him. Uh, that, that's when you're getting into the tier two names. Maybe they would have a chance at Kemba, uh, who if Charlotte's going to offer him five years, I don't, I don't think he would leave. Who's the superstar that they're going to get? Is it Jimmy Butler? It says, I think you could make a case that free agency specifically of the top 10 to 15 names that are out there, Kyrie Irving is the most likely one to sign with the Lakers. And that's not a good place to be if, no. you're, if you're Los Angeles. Can we say with any degree of certainty, because I'm kind of warming up to this idea, that guys maybe don't want to play with LeBron, like as a, just as a general, like as a default position for a lot of stars in the league? Um, because, KD would I mean, agree with you. Yeah, right. Well, Kyrie would agree, I guess. So he's turned over a new leaf or whatever he said in the last 10 minutes. Who knows? Um, but it, it and, and you know what? Like, I totally understand it because it doesn't seem like it would be fun. Um, and now, as you say, I mean, look, we've we've thought LeBron was on borrowed time in terms of his prime for or I have thought for several each of the last like maybe four or five years even. Um, because no one that plays at the level he got to, you never assume they're going to continue to be that good. And since he's so great, he's held on. But like, we're going to get to a point where just his his play on the floor will will not remotely justify the level of sway that he has and the headache and all that stuff. And I think it I think it's definitely going to come on the contract that he's on. It's not he's not going to be LeBron at the end of this contract. Uh, I don't I don't feel like there's any way that's possible. So like the Lakers window, and this speaks to their urgency. I think. The Lakers window is really small if they think that LeBron is going to be the anchor of their next championship team. Um, probably so, the next, if we're going to let's punt on this season, probably the next two years. Maybe. I mean, because are you going to tell me that in 2020, 21, which is going to be just the worst year ever to have to say a lot, I've just <laughs> realized. <laughs> um, well, by, by that year, I would be stunned if LeBron was a top five player. Um because the mileage, the, 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 just, it just, it doesn't happen. Guys don't stay this good for this long. Um, so I don't know what their window is. They may not even have a window unless, unless just something insane happens and they collect like three more all-stars somehow, which seems unlikely. Um, so I guess viewed that way, just the total desperation they showed and trying to get this deal for Davis done makes a little bit of sense. Cause I think maybe, maybe they're acknowledging that like LeBron is, you know, there's a finite amount of months probably where, you know, LeBron and one other star are going to get you where you need to go. 
The question I asked Andy, and I'm going to ask you too, to put a bow on this Lakers stuff. If I could give you for an Anthony Davis destination, Lakers, Boston, or the field, which are you taking? Like as the next team that he plays for? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm assuming he's probably going to play for the Pelicans now, but I'm talking where he's yeah, going to yeah, yeah. Where he's I just think gonna it's end Boston. Up. Doesn't it have to be Boston? I took the field. Um, Okay, that's well. That's definitely the smart statistical play. But where? So where in the field do you have a, a field team that is up there for you, or are you just playing the math? There's a well. I guess there's the math, but I I think if there's one, the Knicks can do something interesting, especially if Kevin Knox and Dennis Smith, either one of them, look at all good to finish the year. If they finish, if they if they end up with a top three pick, and you're willing to give up both those players. Um, that package can get really interesting depending on what other picks they're going to include. With Boston, I don't trust Kyrie Irving at all in kind of no. a good way because I, I appreciate the chaos he creates. And so if he leaves, Jason Tatum's immediately out of that package. And I'm not convinced that while they discussed Jason Tatum now, there was nothing that came out that said Ainge committed Jason Tatum to New Orleans. And it, I don't think he's above trying to get it done without Jalen uh, – without jason tatum in the deal and it makes some sort of sense because if the knicks don't have the number one pick couldn't you argue that between those three teams the packages might be on semi-even footing if the celtics aren't including uh uh, jason tatum if the knicks aren't including the number one pick because they don't have it and then you just have whatever the lakers offer is those those offers are probably pretty close and yeah i still no go ahead and the other thing i'll say is if if Kawhi ends up staying in toronto they can make an incredibly interesting offer built around salary filler. You have Fred Van Fleet, give a bunch of picks. You have OG Ananobi and, and Pascal Siakam. And it would, it would kind of enable because of how good Siakam already is. And then let's say if your salary filler is Ibaka as that anchor, it kind of yeah. enables you to straddle two timelines. Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's a good case for the field if you throw Toronto in there, for sure. Um, I, I guess to me, I, I think – Number one, I really think the Pelicans just don't want to trade Davis to the Lakers under any circumstances. I think it's like I'm here in for addition that pettiness, to, by the way. Yeah, I'm here for the pettiness for sure. Um, I, I kind of love how they handled it, um, just stonewalling and just letting the leaks come out and just who cares. Um, but so that I kind of keep coming back to Boston um, just because maybe it's naive, but I do think Kyrie's going to stay. Um, it, although I don't know now that I'm thinking about it. The whole Knicks thing just kind of smells funny to me that he, that he might end up there. But I don't know. I I think uh, if Tatum's on the table and Kyrie is still in Boston, I think that's just the no-brainer. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, there are a couple of gigantic ifs in, involved in that one. So the field is not a bad not a bad pick at all, actually. I'm kind of coming around to your thinking. Yeah, that's where I'm at. So, but it's good. I'm... I'm just fascinated to see how this kind of plays out. And again, the Kyrie Irving stuff, it's just so much could determine the postseason. If Gordon Hayward doesn't look good, the Celtics get bounced yes. in the second round. <laughs> I mean, Kyrie Irving could leave. Like I'm, I'm at that point where I think he – I'm never in the business of giving the Knicks the benefit of the doubt, but their salary dump was was so flagrant yeah. that it just feels like there, there might be something there. And I'm still trying to just play it off as there's not because I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. but who, who was your other team? I know you had the Clippers – as my winners, yeah, I had one. Well, I had the Bucks and Clippers as my winners, and then I had Knicks question mark. So which we already we already kind of covered them. Um, and then I, I guess I put winners. Just yeah, man. I, I well again, it, it comes back to, and this is probably stupid, 
but it seems like this is part of a pretty big plan and I'm kind of excited by it. Um, so if, if in fact they were just repeating the stupid cap clearing mistakes of the past, then I've, I will, uh, apologize profusely for even thinking they were something like a winner, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I guess my, my, my overall take on the Porzingis trade was that it's super fun for Dallas but that just from an asset perspective, I kind of like what the Knicks did better. Yeah, people um, definitely undersold how much of a risk Dallas is taking. Yeah. You're, I guess, I would just want to know, and I think this has a dovetail with the Kevin Durant stuff and how he reacted to the media the other night, is it, if, if the Knicks don't get superstars, is there a path to them still for you viewing that trade as you do now? Uh, it depends what they do with those picks. Um, so maybe. Um, I mean, it looks way worse. Um, but I think you have to factor in the possibility that Porzingis just, you know, this, just his body doesn't, this just isn't going to work. Um, you know, everybody talks about the, you know, he's, he's so big and this injury, we're just not sure, you know, what it's going to look like for a guy that's his size that plays the way he does coming off of it. And it's not like he was super healthy before the ACL. Um, so I think, the, the downside risk is enormous for Dallas. I'll put it this way. I think the downside risk is much bigger for Dallas than it is for the Knicks because if the Knicks don't get their max guys, that cap space money. is still there. They can get well, something. Is and they it? got the well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> 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 they could they could immediately just make this a just a catastrophe. But they have sort of more, I don't know, flexible paths forward. Right. Whereas like if you're Dallas and Porzingis uh, is just never great then I don't know how you justify you, you can't you can't have won that deal. What did you make of Kevin Durant's thing with the media? Just because he is so tied to the Knicks. I found it funny, uh, before I actually just let you give your opinion, I found it funny that he immediately jumped to the Knicks without actually being asked about it. It was just, are yeah. you frustrated because the noise is louder this year or is it just bothering you more this year? And he was like, I don't have anything to do with the Knicks. <laughs> I don't know who traded Porzingis. It, I I found that hysterical. It's too that's that's funny for two reasons, and the first is like you know the the guy with the guilty conscience is like you know gives it up to the cops. That's they, they, they say where were you last night? Well, I definitely didn't steal that car. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like that. It's like basically that. So that's the the best reason it's funny. But the other one is it shows how if that's not the reason, if in fact like he didn't have anything to do with it, and he was just I don't know making a panicked explanation. The other thing is it again underscores like how much he pays attention and listens to all the stuff about him, even though he just deeply, deeply wants to not be bothered by it. I think he's just, he's so, he's so online. <laughs> he's so, so online. He's so That's a great way in. to put it. He's super on. And, and so, Kevin's uh, so <laughs> online to <Durant. laughs> I mean, you know, the burners and all that stuff, but like, so it's not a revelation, but he, he hears, I think, for someone who seems to be as annoyed by all the non-basketball chatter as he is, he seems to really seek out exposure to it more than most. And that's, that was the other aspect of that comment about the Knicks that really struck me. is like, this dude cannot help himself. It would have um, been really funny if he just like recited there. I don't know why they created recites their salary <laughs> cap space to the nearest cent or something. It would have been great. Yeah, right. It, 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 was a, it was a little too much. I mean, I don't know. Big, big picture, like... Can we say that um, like the cupcake nickname that Russell Westbrook put you know had for him just looks more and more apt every day? I, that that's kind of like one of my takeaways is that I don't know if Kevin Durant like everyone said throughout this whole free agency thing like I'm not even sure Kevin knows what he wants. You know that's been kind of the refrain 
And I think that's true maybe. And I think that's fine. Um, but just, he just doesn't seem to engage with like the reality of how the NBA and the media interact. Um, and, and like, if he's not, and he seems like an intelligent guy, he seems thoughtful. He's definitely, you know, it just, it's strange to me that, um, he got so, uh, I don't know, in, emotional about it because it's like, look, look at rationally how this interplay works. It's a symbiotic relationship. You're not a multimillionaire if these media people aren't asking you questions and there's not a fat TV deal and your games aren't on national television and like all this other stuff. Like it is integral to his success. And if he wanted to just play basketball, that's cool. Um, but that's just not how it works. And I don't know how anyone. 10 years into the league could sort of continue to be annoyed by, um, man, I have to listen to these questions and non-basketball speculation. I just don't understand how you can have that position after being in the league for so long. Right. And I think as a member of the media, there are sometimes where we rush to defend other media members that get lashed out. Of course. Of course. My whole thing though is I'm fine with the players doing that. I remember Chris Paul got mad at me once in a photo interview because of a question I asked him and it was poorly phrased. And it's it's fair game. And there have been players who've gotten mad about something I've I've written. That that's fine too. But he was just the, the whole thing he did just didn't make any sense to me. Which is why no. I don't, yeah. It's, if I had to pick a side, I'm like Ethan Strauss of the Athletic. It's just his because this this whole thing made no sense. First of all, you can't use Ethan's piece that dropped that day as the reason that you didn't speak for ten. That doesn't right. You don't get to use that. And for all the other points that you just made. And there was also just, he hasn't been asked about free agency that much, except for when he came to the Knicks or played in New York. And that was to be expected. So it's, like you said, he's, I guess he's so online and he gets mad about it, but this is just, he, it's, and it's also not a non-story. He signed these one-year deals. It makes it a story. He, you can't tell me he's so plugged in with the internet. He saw what happened to Cleveland with LeBron on, on his deals that had those player options in them and what they became. This can't surprise you. What Draymond Green said in November, that can't surprise you. So no. it's, I can understand it being exhausting, but you, you actually made the story because of those, because of the way your contract structured, whether or not you have anything to do with the Knicks chatter is a different story, but like your contract situation, you're one of the five best players in the game and you didn't commit to the Warriors. Not only did you not commit just like it, I'm subtly, you said stuff at the beginning of the year that was just non-committal. Yeah. I mean, like, I think at the root of this, a lot of it seems to be that Durant and, and like, this is a fair thing to want. I think we all want this. Like he wants to be able to be sort of authentic and say the things that he wants and not play the game, like the media game. And just, he wants to sort of exist as a normal person and not have to, say the right thing or act the right way or commit to a long-term contract if that doesn't make sense for him. And it, it really doesn't because he's going to get to that 10 years of service time and, and that's going to up his max and all that other stuff. Um, but like he need, I just don't understand how uh, it, 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 it can be unexpected or seem unfair to him that when you, when you operate that way, and you put yourself out there a lot, like he does a lot of long form podcasts where he's pretty loose and, and he will right. say all these things like there's a playbook for being in, in his situation and not having the distractions become overwhelming. Like you guys can say, 
I'm only going to answer questions about my own team. Um, free agency will get taken care of when it gets taken care of. You can just knock that out. And it's not like, and Marcus Thompson wrote about this today. It's not like the Bay area media market is like bloodthirsty and is just going to relentlessly hound him with questions. If he would have said just that little playbook about let's not deal with free agency. Um, I think he would have not had a problem. Um, but I think he kind of wants it both ways. He wants to sort of be his authentic self and, uh, be left alone and just play basketball as he said but like that's just not reality that's not reality for anybody we all have to just deal with bs and be fake sometimes and play the game like that's how life works i don't it so that's kind of my bigger my bigger issue is just he's kind of out of touch with just how <laughs> how general like professional interaction uh operates now that the final question for you on him is is he gone is he gone yep. gone is he yep. is he coming back <laughs> he's gone i think he's gone um, you think it's like, just the Knicks then? There haven't been there hasn't been chatter about any other team. Which no, I think it's I think it's the Knicks. I think you can make a case for the Clippers just because their positioning is is so good. Um, that would be but, great for Toronto because Kevin Durant called Kawhi a system player. Right, yeah, right. Um, no, I think he's gone. And like I I do have to admit, like sometimes deep inside, like my actual Warriors fandom is still, there's like a little flickering light in there that this, that my job for the last several years hasn't like made, you know, killed. Um, but, uh, like I actually, at just, if I just become a Warriors fan for a minute, like I'm almost at the point where I'm like, fine, go ahead. Like I, I liked, I liked the team before the team's identity before when it was just Curry and some, and these other pieces that fit really well. Um, I, I, I enjoyed that. I'm sort of nostalgic for it because Durant sort of, he just changed everything about what the Warriors were, um, for several reasons. And so like, I'm kind of cool with, let's see what like the quote unquote, you know, original guys can do. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, and Bring they won't Harrison be as Barnes back at the mid-level yeah. after he opts out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, I just think, uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, the divorce is just kind of like, it's, it's basically already happened. I think you can see that in some of the interaction with the teammates too. Um, and I'm okay with it. I think it makes the league a lot more interesting if he's not on golden state number one. Um, but, but yeah, I think he's gone. Don't, don't you, don't you, do you think he's going to stay? I just, I, I, I think no, but I just don't know where I'm so reluctant to say he's going to the Knicks and maybe that's, you don't want to hope you don't want to kindle hope. Right. I thought heart. they killed me and then I actually felt something because of the KP yeah. trade. So that was, yep. That, that I guess it's always good to get that reminder. I do think he's gone, but I'm so reluctant. I, really, in my head, I came into this season thinking he would play at least another year playing the Chase Center. Me too. Uh, that whole thing, that illusion unraveled for me with, with the November stuff. So it's I, – I, I don't know where he's going. I'm just – I can't buy into the Knicks just all of a sudden – it would be if they pulled this off. By the way, this summer it'd be a bigger coup than Miami in 2010 because at least Miami had that incumbent star, right? And like a track record of sane <laughs> management of not sucking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who was your? Who do you? But you think his destination? It's going to be the Knicks. Yeah, I think so. Um, I feel it like that's the safest bet. So many people predict that. I know. I can tell. Um, what was? I interrupted you to start this. What was your other team? That was it. I, I had, uh, I guess, uh, if I had to pick another winner, um, I don't know who I'd pick. I, I feel like a lot of these deals were kind of like, yeah, that's okay for them. Um, I'm curious what the Rockets do on the buyout market because they kind of quietly, 
you know, tinkered around a little bit, but I certainly wouldn't call them a winner yet. Um, no, they yeah, were, I don't know. I don't they, have another they clear won winner. James Ennis for nothing. I know he hasn't defended well, but I feel like that's James Ennis's whole career. Like it hasn't. He's been like a darling forever because he, sh- he shoots thirty eight percent or whatever it is from three, and he's theoretically a multi position defender. But like, is maybe that's just I, I don't know. Like the the the, the I package think Houston just had him defending too many guards. Is just that's okay. my probably terrible read on it but it's uh, he was never going to like make their defense great so i understand the that the idea of james ennis is way better than actual james ennis yeah like shumpert shumpert might just be better than him um i think uh, you can make a case that he maybe is although both though if you're willing to pay right 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 (laughs) yeah i don't know i i have a i have a tbd on the rockets because i don't like uh, the tax thing is is an issue and that might make this even this TBD status looks stupid, but if they kind of do some smart stuff um, on the buyout market and use up, you know, they got, I think 3.3 left of their MLE that they could use. um, If, if the tax isn't an issue, I I don't know. Um, But yeah, I don't have another strong winner. Maybe do you have, do you have one? And maybe that'll jog my, jog my thinking. I don't know how strong it is, but I think it's going to kind of surprise you. I was impressed with what the Detroit Pistons did. Interesting. So why you big, you like Svi? Uh, yeah, like Lakers fans, I think that he's the next cross between Kyle Korver and, and Bojan Bogdanovic. He's definitely. He's just, um, they didn't give up a pick. I, I think you could have justified going all in on a Mike Conley trade since the Grizzlies wanted Luke Kennard and probably an unprotected pick. He probably could have spun that. But I yeah. like that one, Blake Griffin knew about everything and was okay with it. <laughs> and you got rid of two players that you were probably going to have to overpay. I mean, if you're paying Stanley Johnson at all at this point, you're overpaying Stanley Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Reggie Bullock, that, that's someone that's a, you know, his cap holds valuable if you're a good team, but the, the yeah. Pistons aren't this great team. And it, it looks 10 times better to me now because you got Wayne Ellington on the buyout market. And so yeah, your, right. your playing time kind of sold itself and he's going to help you as a shooter. Their defense has been, their opponents have missed a ton of wide open threes. So maybe with Wayne Ellington on the court, they're somehow going to get blitzed um, more so than they have this season so far. But I, I think it was just, maybe the bar's too low where it's just, oh, it could have been so much worse. And so I'm looking at it as good. But if paying the tax, again, was reality that they weren't willing to reckon with, this trade deadline could have gone so much worse for them. You capitalized on the departures um, of Stanley Johnson. I like Thon Maker there. There, he's not a great three. He's not a great three point shooter. The the Pistons have zero spacing at center, and so now you can yeah. bring him off the bench and play him with Blake. If he's going to shoot thirty three percent from three, that's an upgrade over what you had. Zaza Pachulia was your your backup big that was playing the most minutes, and so you you get that. And for Bullock, you get Shvi, and you get a second round pick. And you you didn't you don't really have second round picks moving forward, so I thought that it was we'll have to wait and see what they do this summer. Are they going to turn around and pay a first round pick to get off of Reggie Jackson or something? I just I liked what they did where it's they're they're pretty much where they were, but their future looks just a little bit better because it's not as damning. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I you know when, when the maker trade happened, I kind of like got a little little like twinge of excitement, like oh they're gonna are they gonna get rid of Drummond somehow? Like is is this like a <laughs> are they gonna just really flip this position entirely and become like a a, tw- a 2019 NBA team all of a sudden? Uh, but obviously that was impossible. But yeah, I mean, it, I think I think they improved their situation um, and like 
I just I just now saw the Ellington uh, buyout signing. So that's like I mean you basically replace Bullock. I mean Bullock has been Bullock's younger and more reliable, and Ellington's been down this year. But I mean in terms of like a role being filled, that's pretty much the same guy. And so I, I like that from them. I'm curious as to what you thought about the the Grizzlies just and the Raptors, like those two sides of the Marcus All trade. Well, I mean, so for the Raptors first, because that's, I mean, that's really the only one that matters. Um, I kind of thought, so obviously Gasol is, I think, first of all, Gasol is like a fringe top 10 center to me now, just on, on balance, I think. Totally fair. Um, and, but, but I think he's better than Valanciunas. Um, I think that his player option is a little worrisome. I think that, you know, we talked about Miritich being a clean fit. I think, you know, Gasol is the type of guy that seems like he'd be just, could fit anywhere because he can pass and he can stretch the floor a little bit. And, you know, in terms of conventional centers, at least defensively, he's a really good post defender. Everyone's talking about that right now as like a, an Embiid, you know, kind of uh, card you can play now um, in a playoff series. But like, you know, I like Ibaka in that first unit. I don't know if he's going to supplant him there. Um, it, it makes it a little weird if you, so you play Siakam at the three now, uh, no, with with I, Surge I think, and Gasol against certain teams, I mean, it's so. It, I feel like whereas the Miritich move sort of opened up possibilities, I think to a greater extent the Gasol move kind of complicated things a little bit. But I mean, he's he's a talent upgrade, and he might he's kind of moody. I mean, not kind of he's he's notoriously moody, and so maybe now that he's playing on a really good team, we'll see like three or four years ago, Marc Gasol, instead of this one, if that, maybe, uh, if he still got that. Um, I mean, I like it. it. I thought it was bold and and really, on balance, like, wasn't really that costly for the Raptors. Um, so I was okay with that. I mean, I don't know, for the Grizzlies, it's more of an emotional thing, because whatever, I guess if you think DeLon Wright's going to be, like, a low-end starter down the line, like, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, what, what did you think? I thought it was a risk that, they should have made just because the offense has been not great 13th in, in points per 100 possessions or since December 1st during that same time they're 24th in three-point efficiency so Gasol is going to help you there I think yeah. he helps you generate more ball movement overall and now you have the bench has not I know they've been injured but Toronto's bench is 19th in point differential since December 1st as well so now you have a pathway to sort of surviving if you need to sit both Lowry and Leonard or one of them and, and Lowry hasn't been making shots. So that helps you. Uh, his player option is scary, but it's also not because CJ miles and Valanciunas basically cost the same amount next season right. as his player option, which makes yeah, that's it, a good point, which makes it a little easier to look at. The bigger question might be uh, his chemistry with Kyle Lowry, who's kind of, you know, Valanciunas is more of a rim runner than Marcus Gasol has ever been. Mm-hmm. So how does that impact the way that the Raptors go about their business on offense? And also Kawhi Leonard is sort of, he's looked out of place at offense for them at times where they really, they really clear the floor for him where they stack up on the weak side and let him go to work. Like it's, or like one side of the floor and let him go to work more than they ever did for DeMar DeRozan. And so now you're integrating another sort of big piece. I just, I like it overall though, because as you said, it's, it's, it's a talent upgrade. And also Marcus Gasol might be a much different, more valuable player when he doesn't have to be your number two. I think that's fair. I also, th- I mean, I, I wonder, can you have, you mentioned ball movement. Can you have good ball movement with the current version of Kawhi Leonard on your team? Because like, there's all this stuff about how, you know, Lowry plays completely differently when, when Leonard's not out there and the Raptors as a team, their style is just, 
night and day because like you say, Leonard is, is really just like an ISO guy now. I mean, the ball really stops all the time and I could see that bothering Gasol who is just such a purist, you know? Um, and, and like, I don't know if they're, you know, if, if Gasol's one of his greatest assets is his vision and his ability to be like an elbow hub. Um, the Raptors, there's a stat out there the other day. I'll get it. Uh, I won't get it precisely right, but like they just never ever run the offense with elbow touches. Um, especially, you know, with their centers. So, so I don't know. The fit is a little weird. Um, And I'd ask you this in, in games that matter. And, and in theory, the Raptors will play a lot of them starting in April is Gasol on the floor to finish games. Um, And I know it's matchup dependent, but just sort of like, you know, as objectively as you can think about it. um, I'm not sure that answer is yes. Oh, it's not Um, objectively. It should be Siakam at center. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, are you comfortable with that? I, I mean, against I, close, I don't know. I think we're going to see. I mean, looking in the later round matchups, uh, we say might it's see, the Celtics. Who, who's who's finishing against the Celtics? Because because Horford is kind of right in the middle, you know, of the old school. He's more mobile than than old school. But like, do you want Siakam on Horford? You probably don't want him on Horford. But I was thinking like I could see Milwaukee closing with Miritich and Giannis as their front court for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they'll be certain, but that you run into the same issue with Valanciunas. I guess there's less of a political debate because he's been his playing time has never been through the roof in Toronto. And so, if you wanted to play Abaka and Siakam, maybe you don't yeah. get much pushback from him. It that's I mean that's an interesting question. There was I, there's been stuff about that. Is there, there are probably teams that are hoping Toronto plays big because it, it makes them easier to attack in crunch time. Mm-hmm. Then. And Abaka yeah. Gasol front court is not. I don't think it's going to be a good defensive front court if you have Siakam there I think there's probably a pathway to making it fine that's really what Gasol needs on defense now is he can't be the anchor like you said no he's, he's good... gonna have to he's gonna have to drop um right. he, like I mean he's gonna play like Valanciunas does and I think you know maybe that that might matter less since since the Raptors have so many you know awesome long rangy perimeter guys where you know you're not gonna it's going to be hard to sort of pierce a drop pick and roll defense, but you're going to give up open threes, I think. Um, and that could be a problem, especially against Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Did you have a problem with Memphis's return at all? It seemed light, but I think that's just what the market was for Gasol because of, because of his age and his player option and, and, and all that stuff. Um, it, it seems light, but, but I, I guess I'm kind of taking the approach of like, if there was something better out there than then Memphis would have taken it. Because right. certainly Toronto wasn't the front runner for most of the you know the rumor mill period, and you didn't get bad money back because I think nope. if you're going to overpay someone like CJ Miles, at least he's an established shooter. I know he hasn't shot the ball well um, for this for a lot of this season, but that's at least someone who has a proven track record of that. Just overpay the shooter; he'll help you space the floor. And Valanciunas is around 17 million next year. That's not terrible. He played well this year before his thumb injury. So that's just, it's better than having to take back Reggie Jackson and John Moore by a mile. Oh, God, yeah. And, you know, I think it, it addressed, a, I, I kind of, big picture wise, I respect a little bit of what Memphis did because, you know, not trading Conley was I, was a surprise to me, honestly. But, like, it seems like he just wanted to stay, maybe. That's kind of my gut. And he's valuable as a mentor to Jaron Jackson and whoever they're, you know, it, depending on how the, 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 uh, their obligations to Boston go, how, the, how that pick their next pick falls. But like, I like Valanchunas there as a guy who makes it so Jackson doesn't have to be a center all the time. Still. Um, I think DeLon Wright, you know, he's probably a starting caliber guard, I guess. Um, but he's low. I don't know. I, I thought it was okay. Um, but just like, 
in a vacuum, the idea of you traded Mark Gasol and you didn't get a first rounder or anything approaching a star, it feels a little weird, but, but it is 2019. It's not, you know, it's not 2013. The thing, yeah. And I agree with everything you said there. And, uh, Delon Wright might end up being affordable as a restricted free agent, having his match rights. I don't know what team is coming at point guards this year with an over the top offer. Um, there, no, always, you wouldn't think, but with Phoenix and Orlando addressing those needs, I, I don't know where, um, where that offer would come from. What made me uneasy is two things. The subsequent trade they had to make of Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green for the tough-to-watch Avery Bradley, which was made solely because they needed to duck the tax after this three-for-one with Toronto. So that's What a, a friggin' haul for the Clippers on that one, by right, the way. And that's, you, don't, you don't want to be in that position as the Grizzlies when you're giving up the best player, in theory, in the deal, where we have to then go dump these other two guys. And the Clippers, after the Tobias Harris trade, it was... Everyone thought they just weren't going for the playoffs, but now you have, I'm not saying that Garrett Temple replaces Tobias Harris, but now you have help on the wing with him and you've upgraded your front court between you, you would trade it for Zubak. Um, now you have Jermichael Green. So there, and you've added, you, you added Landry Shamit. Maybe they get good minutes from Wilson Chandler once he's healthy. They're, they're interesting as well. Like it's, they could still. I tend to think it's going to be the Lakers who get that playoff spot, and I can't imagine anyone else falling out. But the Clippers are going to be right there. And to just get that for Avery Bradley, I mean, you force Doc Rivers to open minutes in the backcourt now because he was playing Bradley way too much. And you get out of that $2 million guarantee, which is, yes, you could have stretched it, but if, if you can save 900 and something thousand dollars per year and increase your cap space this summer, then, then why the hell not? you got two quality players on expiring deals. I, the, yeah, the Clippers, like... I don't know, man. It's so it's sort of like uh, I don't know a few years ago, Rockets ish, in that they're just completely rebuilding, but they're sort of having it both ways. You know, it's like the the very calculated rebuild where you just never suck, um, but but awesome. you're never. It, it's a, it's unbelievable how quickly they flipped this. I mean, for a year ago, freaking Blake. I mean, not a little more than a year ago, Blake Griffin was on this roster. And I mean, DeAndre Jordan and like all those, all that's, it's just, it's unbelievable how they've piled up these assets. And really like the other, the other sort of facet of this thing, you know, Temple and and Green are both expiring. Um, But if you're a star, if you're Kawhi Leonard or if you're whoever else they think they're going to get with their, with their max space, I think Temple and Green are exactly the kind of guys I'd want re-signed at reasonable deals to just be support players. Um, And and the Clippers have a... Definitely Temple. I mean, Temple just Temple belongs on a good team. He just everything he does makes sense on a good team. And it's been so I don't know if he's has he ever been on a good team when he's been like this quality version of Gary. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) those guys really fit. Um, And the Clippers still have a bunch of those guys. Plus now you can say like there's a non-zero chance that Shea and Shamit are like a quality backcourt of the future. Certainly Gilgis Alexander, but I'm kind of in on Shamit as just a guy who's going to just run around screens and chuck um and get a little stronger as he puts weight on i just they have so many avenues to to success um everything they did made sense everything was calculated it was there were just steps in their process and i just uh jerry west man if you assume jerry west was at the the helm of this which seems reasonable um man that guy he's gonna be doing this till he's 100 (laughs) um i have two more quick questions i promise i'll get you out of here soon of these teams that didn't do anything, and I'm not including the Spurs because they never do anything, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Utah, who were you most disappointed in that didn't end up doing anything? And I'll accept the Hawks as a as a write-in because they did those two just 
like Sheldon Mack for Tyler Dorsey, and um, they took on Jabari Bird and yeah. waved him. They didn't get rid of Jeremy Lin or uh, Dwayne Dedman, which I thought was – I mean, they did this last year with Ilyasova and Bellinelli. Maybe they aren't going to buy those guys out, but that was going to be the next question about the buyout market. So of those three teams, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and Utah, who, who missed more by not doing anything? Well, didn't the Timberwolves not do anything either? Am I forgetting something? The Timberwolves did not do anything, if you want to include them, yeah. I put I mean, I put them at least in the running for it. I think probably probably Utah. Um and and that's mainly because it seemed like Conley was was theirs um at one point, um, a couple of days before the deadline, I think. And I got so fired up about that possibility and what that might mean for, you know, kind of getting the jazz. Some people, I think, would argue, depending on which sort of sample of the season you take, that the Jazz really are already up there at the like OKC Denver kind of second tier level of the West. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but it seems like they always have a month long run where they establish that level. Um, and Conley being on that team would have really been interesting to me. Um, so I think it's probably them. Brooklyn, I think, is just like lucky to be in a position where we can even talk about them this way. Um, and that, it's impressive. That was, I don't know um, if you read Lowe's piece, but where they discussed giving Denver's pick and crab to Memphis for Temple and Jermichael Green, that would have been a hell of a deal for them. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been amazing. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I feel, I feel like the Nets are still kind of playing with house money in a weird way because they shouldn't be where they are yet considering all of the, uh, you know, the, the, how far they set themselves back with, you know, that all the, all the trades of their picks several years ago. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably Utah for me. Um, it's, it's Charlotte. I get. I guess I'm just always sort of perpetually disappointed with Charlotte, and they're just always going to be this team. So uh, yeah, it's probably the Jazz. What did you think? It, oh, it was the Jazz for me, and I killed them. And the the thing I wrote about NBA teams blowing it at the deadline. They have been since they were last under 500. They're 11 and three, second best defense, top five net rating. Donovan Mitchell's playing better. Rudy Gobert's probably a top 15 player right now. There's as you said, there could be that late season surge for them. If they thought they were going to get Conley or Conley and they, that's why they didn't trade for Otto Porter jr. That's going to end. That could end up coming to bite them just because they easily could have beaten that bulls offer. Uh, or that oh, a lot of teams could have. Right. So I don't understand why they were, they were linked to him. So it wasn't like they weren't in discussions with Chicago. If they punted on him for Conley and then didn't get him, that's a, a problem because I think that, they needed something. They were supposed to be in the. They're supposed to be in the tier above. Most probably going to make the playoffs, and they're not right yeah. now. Yeah. And to let this trade deadline come and go. I mean, let's journey off the beaten path here too. Harrison Barnes would have been too much of a stylistic reach. But what about Danilo Gallinari after the Tobias Harris trade? I know he's had back issues, but he would have been a good fit. Or when you're looking for another shot creator, did you talk to Atlanta about Jeremy Lin? It just seems that. Like, are they saving their first round picks for a Drew Holiday trade this summer? I don't, I just don't know why they were not a team that I thought could sit idly by. It was when you look at Charlotte and Brooklyn, Brooklyn is just so early into their stages of, of being good. Uh, Minnesota, yeah. Perlow turned down offers for Andrew Wiggins, or there was interest, but they didn't want to give him away. They should have gave him away. So I understand. I would give him away for nothing. Yeah. I would give him away for the cap space that his absence created you needed, and nothing you else. needed to trade for. Uh, a vast array of bad deals to lose the Andrew Wiggins trade because there's no contract that extends <laughs> that long that you're going to take yeah. back realistically. But for the Jazz, they and, and for the Hornets, I actually, they messed up because you need to put something around Kemba Walker eventually, but they were also shrewd because no, you don't give up a lightly protected pick for Marc Gasol. 
You don't. No, no. And the salary don't. you were asking Memphis to take back clearly wasn't as um, non-crappy, I guess I'll put it, or uncrappy as what Toronto was doing. Still, you it's it's 34-year-old Marcus Gasol, who if he opts in, you have to overpay him in his age 35 season. So for the Jazz, it was... I'm not saying they should have went out and made a trade for an aging player and gone all in, but you could have, you could have, and should have um, really upped the ante for that Mike Conley play. Or again, it seems like you could have just went out and gotten Otto Porter. I think too. I mean, I'm Porter's a complicated figure for me. Like I, 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 I just don't know. I think he's overpaid as a role player, and I always go back to like you can. I can go find somebody that does 85 percent of what Otto Porter does for the mid level or less, basically. Um, but but to your point, a, a team like Utah, and, and you know, you have to think about this with teams like Sacramento too. You know, they talk about oh, Sacramento's got all this cap space, and well, what does that really mean? Uh, Utah is another one of those teams that if you're talking talent acquisition, it's got to be trade or draft. Um, so for them to not succeed at the trade deadline is, I think, you know, doubly, uh, troubling considering their avenues, you know, they have one third fewer avenues toward team improvement, um, because free agency just isn't, isn't a Utah thing. Um, and that's true for a lot of other teams, but, but when you're as good as the jazz are and as, as much better as they could have potentially gotten, I think, uh, you know, not, not pulling anything off when there were opportunities, it sure seems like, uh, is, is a big deal. Maybe they value their cap space, but with Tobias Harris now, Why? really, right? Why? I mean, that was the name everyone was looking at. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just there's certain teams I think you just can't like your cap space is not the same as everybody else's, or as as you know, really maybe we should think of it as like there's really more like five or six teams whose cap space matters, and and you know where you can say like having clear cap space is a big deal, and like twenty some odd teams, it's more like eh, you know, you got to be really good, or you otherwise you're just gonna have to draft and trade for your talent. Are there any buyout names that you're watching specifically? I know Robin Lopez. Are we just assuming he's going to? He's already been bought out. Are we just assuming he's going to Golden State? Wait a minute. They. I didn't see that. Did he get? He got bought out. Lopez did. They were brokering. He's getting bought out. I don't care what the Bulls say. He's getting bought out. He, so okay, he better. He's my number one guy. Um, just because one, because I love him, and uh, I, I did you see his inner his uh when he was asked about uh, Brook uh, or uh, Mirotic yeah. having to play with Brook? Yeah, he's, like, he's he's already had the superior experience of playing with me. <laughs> I love I love Robin Lopez. Um, but but aside from that, like, um, and if it is the Warriors, he's just. You know, you could say the Warriors need more shooting on the second unit or a wing or whatever, but um, I, he he makes perfect sense to me on, on Golden State. And if that works out, that's one of the cl- another clean. You know, it's it's a it's a Miritich esque level of clean uh, fit if he gets if he ends up on the Warriors. Um, I, again, I was surprised that there aren't more Hawks rumored to be bought out. I think Chris Vivlemore just earlier today said that the plan is they're not going to buy Deadman or these other, particularly Deadman, but a bunch of, they're, they're not going to do it. They're not going to buy guys out, which uh, is surprising to me. Um, other than that, there's like nobody out there that really blows me away. Like, I don't I don't know who wants J.R. Smith. I don't know who wants Gortat. I don't know who wants Enos Cantor, Kaminsky, eventually. I just, I don't know. I don't know who, um, who, who really blows me away. Wes Matthews is definitely the number one guy, but I, I guess he wants minutes and chance to sort of showcase his skill with the, with the Pacers. But um yeah, it's probably Lopez for me, but 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 Matthews would have been huge. If you're if you're pipe dreaming for Golden State, Matthews would have been incredible. Yeah, I thought that too, but he was clearly, like you said, valuing playing time. Same thing with Ellington going to yeah. Detroit. And that's what Atlanta it makes sense that they wouldn't buy out Jeremy Lynn or Deadman, and maybe Lynn puts butts in seats for them, but 
after what they did last year with Ilyasova and Bellinelli, it is weird that they're I'm reluctant to say that they effed up at the trade line, but it's weird that they're not giving away like doing something with these expiring contracts that don't fit their timeline. Is it because they don't want to take on money? That would also be weird. I thought Travis Schlank said the opposite. Yeah. If if you had to pick who's more likely to get bought out, Jeremy Lin or Dwayne Dedman? That's a good question. I could see I kind of think Dedman actually. Um and and I guess although just backing up a second, I, I'm I'm starting to wonder if um if the Hawks are taking this approach where they where um they're kind of like they're not shipping guys out to potentially places they don't want to go to bring back assets as like a way to sort of make it look like they're the type of organization that does right by its veterans, you know, like, Hey, we're not going to dump you somewhere. We're going to, and I don't know how much currency that really is worth, but I think it's, it's not nothing. And it would justify why they aren't just being like, yeah, we'll send you whoever, just give us like a heavily protected pick and we'll take on a bunch of money and whatever. I think maybe they're operating that way. It would, it would explain it. Um, but I don't know. I, it, do you think it's Devin or Lynn? And if, if you think it's Lynn, where do you think Lynn makes the most sense? I want it to be Lynn, but I would think it's Deadman. Um, okay. Even though they're, they don't have like all these front court players. They have John Collins and then there's Alex Lynn, one of the Plumleys, Miles Plumley, Spellman. Like that's it. That unless you want to play Tory yeah. Prince of the four a bunch and he hasn't really fared well defensively there. If Lynn was bought out, he, uh, if he wanted to prior, I, I don't know if he would want to prioritize like winning, but if Toronto would make sense because now they need a playmaker and they needed a playmaker beforehand, Patrick McCaw isn't it. And then you just traded away uh, Delon Wright, So he would fit there. But in terms of playing time, if he went to Detroit, he should immediately start their best. Oh my God. He becomes their best. Detroit needs a playmaker. So yeah, Detroit needs someone to do something with the basketball besides Blake Griffin. That's one of the most unwatchable teams in the league um, for that reason. Yeah. He wouldn't be great there. I mean, like there are a lot of teams that, he makes sense as a backup for, um, I just, uh, I don't know. Deadman to me seems like if he's your, if he's don't your you backup, he'd be a better fit for the warriors than Robin Lopez. They already yeah, have like know, that maybe. physical with the Marcus, like that physical big with the Marcus cousins. Why not get one that is going to be, he's, he, he can defend in space a little bit. He has three point range. Now I, I have to confess something to you. Um, I really like Kevon Looney still. I'm still super in on. Kamal well, then you Lundin. shouldn't so, want them to sign Lopez either. They should. No, no, no. Here's, here's here's why, and and it's be, it's Cousins um, has looked just I mean a million times better mobility wise and in any other physical facet you want to mention since he came back than I possibly could have imagined. But the dude picks up four fouls in like the first six <laughs> minutes he plays, and his conditioning sucks. Like he still is that same guy that doesn't run down the floor a lot and that commits at least three stupid fouls a game because he's tired or frustrated. So to say that like, well, the Warriors have their, their bulky big um, and, and and don't even, I mean, let's not also forget that like he could just get hurt again. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a big guy with a leg injury could have a kinetic chain issue or whatever. Um, So I'm not sold that um, the Warriors have enough like heft on the inside. So that's why Lopez makes a lot of sense to me aside from me just personally liking him. Um, but I trust Looney to be like their switchier, uh, you know, he, 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 I liked what he did in the rocket series. There are a lot of numbers last year that said he wasn't good, but just watching him physically move around. I just like what Looney does. So I'm okay with that. Um, I, I just think Lopez would be some good cousins insurance. Deadman 
would probably then look good the Lakers or the Bucks. I think either of those oh teams would be great fits for him. We can't keep giving the Bucks really good players. Like they have enough. I think I think they're set. They're gonna are they still on pace, do you know, for like a historic um Probably not anymore because they were up in double digits in terms of their SRS on basketball reference. Like they were, they were on pace to be, you know, in the level of teams where like 95% of the time, if you post this SRS over a season, you're winning the title. Uh, they probably aren't there anymore, but man, they are, they're loaded. No, I didn't even know that that was a thing for them. Um, oh yeah. I mean, their net rating is still, it's, it's like in the high nines have, right now. I just looked it up as you were talking. They are 11th in NBA history in SRS. There you go. Yeah, they're still up there then. I and mean, they I'm are. looking at the teams in front of them. I think, are they all title teams? No, 2015-2016 Spurs are not. 2014-15 uh, Warriors are. 91-92 Bulls, those are champions, right? That's in the... Yep. Uh-huh. Um, That's the first three, Pete. 2015-2016 Warriors are not. 96-97 uh, Bulls, yes. 71-72 Bucks. Is that that team? And the that's seven- that's either the best team to not win a title, or they did win a title. I think. Well, there's two Bucks teams in here, so I'm thinking. Yeah, they lost this one, so I'm thinking the the best SRS in NBA history is from the seventy seventy one Bucks, which I think they were the ones that then won the title. Um, you have the seventy one seventy two Lakers, the sixteen seventeen Warriors, and the ninety five ninety six Bulls. So there's, I would think, the ten teams in front of them. Roughly, it's three of them didn't win the title. Yeah, so they're there. I mean, the Bucks are. This is why, like, uh, in doing power rankings every week, like, I just sort of don't care what happens to the Bucks week to week because their resume is on par with the greatest regular season teams of all time, and so they're just never going to be lower than second. Um, they're, they're. I don't know, man. Uh, they. So let's give them to Wayne Dedman, is what you're saying. Yeah, why not? Yeah, let's. Why don't we just give them their pick of the buyout market at this or point? Or another name, and this will be the last thing. I think it's. Taj Gibson is someone to watch, I feel like. If Minnesota, I know there's only like a couple weeks, but I thought they, that was probably, I'm, I think people wanted them to move on from their veterans, but no one was taking his contract as it was without setting back bad money. Those big expiring deals are hard to move for another expiring deal. But if they fall out of the playoff race, I know they're sort of close right now, but I don't know how you look at them if you're, if you're them internally and say, oh, we could, we can make a postseason push. So he would be, what if he went to the Warriors as sort of the bridge between Lopez and Deadman, and he's this like store brand, that's a lot of, store brand David West or something. Cause he's not, a that's a lot of fun, but, but no, I like that. State. Can you, can you explain why Anthony Tolliver wasn't even like rumored to go anywhere? Don't, I mean, you thought there was enough want... teams that needed front court floor spacing. Yeah. That's, that's still a thing in the NBA, right? We still want spacing at the forward spots that hasn't changed. I, like, I think, I, I don't know that that could have worked. Um, maybe he's something that gets bought out too. He's expiring as well. Yeah. I just always wonder, like, is there really no market at all? Like is, because when you're buying a guy out, you're, you're getting nothing. Was there not a second, I guess, you know, you got a match salary and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's always surprising to me how many guys get bought out when like you think that a team could have got just something. I feel like Charlotte would have done Anthony Tolliver for Frank Kaminsky straight up at this point, like, or something like that. So I don't know why. He's only making five point eight million. That should have been a deal that I think that they would be able to move. Yeah, he doesn't play a lot with them. He's still shooting. He's shooting the ball fine from three. So I I just don't know if the Timberwolves there's with the Hawks. I think you can just say they should buy those guys out at this point if they're unless they don't care about hurting their lottery odds or something. 
uh, but with the Timberwolves and like some of these other teams, it's tougher because they have to view themselves as just categorically out of the playoff race. And I don't know yeah. that the Timberwolves will ever get there. That's yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a I good hope point. one of the, I hope Leonard Denman gets put up because I think that they they would want either one of them would really help a team. Yep, I think so too. Although I think they're probably both valuable to Atlanta too. Um, you know, get, even though Atlanta's goals are very different than the teams that they might end up on, but um, I think yeah, yeah maybe Atlanta's the, the looking Hawks, at it as we're going to give you guys a ton of money for a year as placeholders. It could be, could be. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I yeah, I keep coming back to how surprising it is that Atlanta really didn't you know, collect, just start hauling in stuff. You know, that's what you'd want a team in their position to do. It is a bad look though, right? If they, I want them to get bought out, but if they do this again, where you put one or two really good players on the market for nothing, like they did with Bellinelli yeah. and Ilias Ova, that's not the best, that's not the best look. No, unless we're going to go with my uh, completely yes, made up right. theory I, of, of they're trying to, uh, you know, look like a franchise that, that will take care of you. That's but, Kevin Durant signing with unlikely. the Hawks this summer. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Uh, thank you for giving me so much of your time uh, and just recapping the trade deadline fallout. There was just so much stuff that happened. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. If you guys do not follow Grant on Twitter, you are making a mistake. He does not clog up your timeline, and when he does tweet, um, it's it's either hysterical or, or he's throwing in some good retweets there. So follow him on Twitter, at GT underscore Hughes, spelled exactly as it sounds. You can follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. And please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We will be eternally in your debt. Until next time, I leave you all with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson and no one else. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.